humid and it's hot. And I'm tired of it. And here we are recording the 22nd episode. I can't say 22nd. It's a tricky number. It's 22nd episode of the Extensive Reading Podcast. Where? Yeah, where we take an intensive look at extensive reading. And um, yeah, for today's episode, we have the second part of our interview with, uh, with Rob Waring. And uh, this time uh, we're going to talk about his experiences as an author and as an editor of uh, very, very good graded readers. And this brings uh, me to the question, have you been doing your homework? That's right. We assigned homework last week. One assignment, which was to read uh, some ex- some books that, that Rob Waring had written. One was titled... Yeah, rain, rain, rain. And we didn't do this on purpose. <laughs> it just happened. That's It's been raining all week. Um, yeah. yeah, so... Um, yeah. If for, you haven't done your homework, pause now. Yeah, it won't take long to read those books. Just read a couple of those uh, very well-written and inspiring books from the Foundation's Reading Library. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so for for three years, uh, until last year, I I was running extensive reading programs in public junior high schools in in Osaka, here in Japan. And uh, among these students, by far the most popular books were those books we were talking about, books by Rob Waring and uh, Maurice Jamal, uh, the Foundation's Reading Library. Um, Yeah, so Travis, what's, what's special about these books? Yeah, so what's special about the Foundation's Reading Library is the headwords of the, the very first level is has 75 headwords, and that's drastically different than some of the other series and authors we've been talking to. Uh, we talked with Antoinette Moses a few months ago, wow, almost a year ago, yeah. for episodes eight and nine, and she gave us a really wonderful um, kind of rundown of how she writes graded readers with very simplified language. And even those were working with 250 headwords, yeah. right? So um, Professor Dr. Waring's work is, is using even less, so shooting for really uh, beginning-level learners. Yeah, I have to add that these were first published in 2007, and mm-hmm. at the time uh, this was very unique. Like Now you can find other collections at this, uh, word, uh, at this level, uh, but they're not as good, I have to say. <laughs> Well, let's move. Uh, another area I wanted to cover is mm. about just your your experience with writing graded readers. Okay. And. Uh, Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, I've had quite a bit of experience with that right now. Um, I'm now working on um, a series um, that last weekend uh, I was uh, talking to the publisher, working on a new series to sort of look at some texts which have been written, which is a new type of thing for me. I've never looked at what somebody else has done and published and then had to rewrite it, given what they've got. So that's a new challenge for me. That's really interesting. I'm working on the books over here though, right now. This is my project after the podcast. Um, but what I, I, I get a lot of fun out of writing graded readers. It's, it's great fun. Um, writing and editing. Editing is, is less fun, but writing is, is definitely the fun. And I think my, if I was to have a talent and um, the, the audience will decide whether I have a talent or not, um, 
would be at the lower level. Um, I'm not so good at the sort of um, mid-level books, uh, intermediate level, advanced level, although I do understand uh, how to, how stories need to be constructed. In my own writing, I feel much more comfortable at the lower levels uh, when I'm dealing with only 50 words or 100 words. And that, to me, is a challenge because I spend so much of my life working with word lists and knowing about word frequency and really trying to simplify how can I say this? How would somebody say this naturally with very, very few words? So I listen to many of my students. This is why I love teaching low-level classes because I can see what they're struggling with. Um, and then, so a series like Foundations, for example, was just so much fun to write. Could you, um, could you please tell us? I'm really, really curious about it. And my, my students at a, my former students at junior high school uh, love mm. those books. And um, yeah, I want to know everything about this series and how, sure, how okay. it came about. Well, um, the series started um, with the publisher I was working with, uh, with uh, Thompson at the time, then became Heinley, then they became Sengage, and now they're National Geographic. Um, so um, I was talking with the the, the, the publisher, the, that's the sort of uh, title of the person, a man called Chris Wenger, um, who was talking, uh, he and I were talking about um, the greater video series which were out there at the time. And they were the standard series, but there was nothing at the lower level. Cambridge was about halfway through making its series. Bookworms had been out for a while. Penguin was starting to change to their stories, the ones with the, uh, the picture covers rather than what they had previously. They were starting to bring some titles in. And we noticed that there was a gap right down at the bottom, at the lowest, lowest levels. This bridge between uh, the intensive language study, which students get in their book one, book two of their course books, but they weren't getting the language um, that they needed and uh, the practice of it. And um, especially at, at an extensive reading level, and I need to explain what I mean by that. So if you look at, let's say, what an average, say, second year or maybe third year student would know, um, they might know a thousand words. If you give them a vocabulary test, you say, right, here's a test, test you on your words, give them a test, and they'll say, all right, I know about a thousand words. Now, of that thousand words, some of those words they would know really well, yeah? And some of those words they would be guessing, right? They know it's not A, it's not B, oh, it must be C. Um, so there's a kind of partial knowledge vocabulary, and there's another type of vocabulary is fast access knowledge. Now, as we know, for extensive reading, in order to read smoothly and quickly, you should already know 98, let's say 95, 98, 99% of the words. So extensive reading is that subset of their knowledge, which is, let's say, 25% or 30% of their actual knowledge. So if they know a thousand words, their actual extensive reading, fluent access, quick access vocabulary is a small part of that. Much less, yeah. Much less. So where you've got first year students who've only got 500 words, a quarter of that would be down towards 100 words. And there was nothing out there at all to bring them from, say, 50 words or 75 words up to where the other series is start, which is around the 350, 300 level. Some of them have moved down a little bit now. Uh, um, Oxford started their starter level. Penguin had a, a, an early level as well, um, which was great because they're moving in that direction, but that none of them have gone down even further into the 150. And I'd like to do a series starting at, let's say, 25 words. So in fact, start a series with actually no words on the page at all. Um, and I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, so we identified this and we identified that in our target, first target market was Japan. 
So um, we, we looked and said, okay, what does an average typical junior high school student know here? I had a long time chatting to the junior high school students and found out they couldn't cope with anything less than uh, 200 words. So I had to, more than 200 words. So I had to run, go right, way back to 75. And it was quite hard. I mean, if you look at the frequency of, of certain words, we talked about Zip's law and frequency before, um, of the top 75 words in English, 50 of them are function words. You know, in, on, ab, or, or there might be, let's say, delexical verbs like the be verb, for example, the copula, or it might be, you know, a very, very few content items in there, almost no nouns, um, time and government. Now, you're not going to have government for a junior high school student. So you, what we found then was for the foundations books, we had to have some vocabulary um, before the story started, which were vocabulary specifically for that title, so they wouldn't get bogged down. We have to illustrate it. We also found that we had to put in the names of the characters because students are not familiar with some of the characters at all, their names. When they see Gary, for example, they've got no idea what's this word. Look it up in a dictionary. They have no idea what it is because they don't have that ability to, to notice what a proper noun is even though they know it has a capital letter, they, they, they think beyond that. So we, we tried to find out uh, names that they would know. And I found out after the series was written that in Thailand, um, there was one of the characters whose name was Faye, F-A-Y-E. Thai students had the immense trouble trying to just pronounce that. They had no fire, fire, fire. They just couldn't work out how to say it. To me, it was so obvious, but for them it wasn't. And so, um, we tried to do our best to try and make sure uh, the names that we chose were, were not only common names, but were easy to pronounce. So we started off writing these things and had to um, look at which words are the students are most likely to need. I looked at their the type of book books that they've got, what kind of things are in their textbooks, what themes, what are they talking about? They're talking about travel, they're talking about you know food, they're talking about school, and relate something that would be towards their their life. And we wanted to have stories which were which an which a typical junior high school student could identify with they could put themselves in a position so in a story called rain 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 for example kids are usually tired get up in the morning oh my gosh i'm late for school run downstairs rush off it's raining oh my gosh lose my umbrella miss my bus and get to school and then you you're in such a panic you realize at the end of course that spoiler. oh school, <laughs> school's closed for the day it's a spoiler yeah but anyway, so you know, those are the, I can identify that with that. And sometimes we had a twist at the end of a story, which would kind of surprise them. There was one story about um, a young boy who was being sort of dragged along through a park and two older boys were like throwing stones at ducks and turning over things and making all kind of mess. And this boy was sort of, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And in the end, an eight-year-old girl told the police and the, the police came along and, and took the boys off. And typically, that's where a story would end. But we didn't want to end it that way. Uh, we, the, the, we had the policewoman say, or policeman or policewoman say to the, to the boy, the younger boy, actually, you're coming with us too, because you're ostensibly um, a witness to the act. You're, you're there. You're not trying to stop it. You could have stopped it. You were with these boys, but didn't. So there was a, a price they had to pay. So we wanted to have not, not a sort of preachy model, not a sort of... Um, something that would tell you how to think. We just wanted to raise a few issues of responsibility, the sort of things that teenagers might, trouble they might get into. And um, I've got somewhere on a piece of paper here, I've got about another hundred stories that I, I'd like to write. Um, I, I, I really would like to get, get done, write some more. 
So that was foundations. Um, and uh, it took a long time. Um, the I had to be very careful with the way that I wrote the, the books, because if you've got 75 words, you've only got, let's say, six verbs. I'm trying to write a motivating, interesting, enthralling, exciting story with six verbs. That's not easy. So um, and then you've got very few nouns to work with. Um, but at the higher levels, you have a richer vocabulary, which is fine. But the problem was that we had to write these stories within those 75 words. If we add two or three more extra words, that reduces the number of words they would know from, let's say, 95% down to eight, maybe 85%, which then doesn't make an extensive reading. So it was quite critical which words we have in, which words were repeated enough times. When you get to the higher levels, let's say moving from 75 words to 100 words, that's only 25 words, but it's a 33% jump which is quite a lot. So we have to be very careful about choosing which words we're going to move on to next and so on. So again, 100 words, head word books was then 150 words. That's a 50% jump. So we had to be quite careful. We wanted to make sure the levels were very close to each other so that there wouldn't be such a gap. So in, in like, say, like in the um, Oxford books, I forgot what the levels are, but there was like 100% or 150% jump. Um, one of the Cambridge books jumped from 400 to like 800. It's a hundred percent jump. It's a huge change in vocabulary. We wanted to have much, much closer levels. So when we did page turners, we had twelve levels within a shorter range. We didn't want the top end books because most top end books are not read. Um, so we wanted to have some lower level ones and move up from there. So we tried to sort of um, make sure that we have levels as close as we can, so that students would stay within the series. Because otherwise, if there's too much of a gap to the next level, they're going to go to another series you know, go to Macmillan or go to Penguin or go somewhere else, which isn't a bad thing in itself, but we want to try and keep them within our series. And so with foundations, we tried to structure it differently in, in the sense that it was the same characters appearing again and again and again and again. And that helped build, build background knowledge. So as with most stories, they're standalone. You get new characters, new setting, new everything, and you waste so much time with the story doing that. But in the foundation series, we could build that, that uh, background across all of the books um, and then you can see how characters would change so Jenny for example is very meek and mild in the first uh, level and when she gets to the level seven she's really quite assertive there's a story called let's party where she really comes out sort of ah you're making a mess in my house ah, get out of this house and so she's quite changed and there were a few other people who Jimmy was a boy in a wheelchair very sort of angry kind of boy um, that became calmer later in the series and we noticed that students picked up on these things. So we took a lot of time in the planning. Morris and I spent many hours doing that. So what, what was Morris's role? Was he the illustrator or were you? Uh, no, no, Morris was uh, the original guy who came up, helped me come up with some of the storylines. Mm -hmm. And um, we came up with most of the storylines together uh, initially. Then after about a year or so, um, I basically took on the responsibility for writing the books themselves and going through them. And the original storylines were changed. Um, not all of them, some were largely the same, but Morris's role became less and less and less. And I actually did nearly all the writing. Um, he helped with the activity books and workbooks that came with the series. Um, so uh, Morris helped me with some of the stories initially. And, um, and so he, his input was certainly there. Would you say that the foundations, the foundation books were for high school and junior high school students and then page turners for university students? Or? Um, Oh, and it could be either way. Initially, we wrote the foundation series aiming at the typical junior high school, Not high school uh, students, junior high school, Ju junior high school, okay. junior high school. Yeah, we wanted to have them uh, at that level. 
um, because there were some students who would do that. I mean, initially we knew that the first students to use the books would be in private schools. Uh, the government schools couldn't take it on because, uh, as I was intimating before, uh, the government doesn't have an extensive reading program built into the curriculum because they don't have the $100 million they need to go and build libraries for all the schools throughout Japan. So if they put extensive reading into the, into the, into the curriculum, teachers are going to say, give me the books, give me the library. So um, we realized that it was the private schools who, whose students tend to have slightly higher um, level, they're more ambitious. Um, the students tend to achieve um, quite, quite high level. And therefore, that was going to be the first way to wave to get books into into Japan was these the more elite, the higher level schools, which would have been the junior high school. Um, and we knew also at the time the government was thinking of adding English into the last years of, of elementary school. So when the, the public schools started to do extensive reading, we knew that they would come to uh, the second year or first year of junior high school with a little bit of English, which was not the case at the time of publication. So we knew that the world was going to be changing around us. So we thought that was OK. But that's the perception we had for Japan. But when I took the books to Korea, they said, oh, no, these are for like three year olds. You know, this is the level. I mean, their, their perception of what the series was, was was completely misunderstood by the publisher. Um, they just didn't have a clue who they were for, what they were for, why they were doing it. Um, and um, they didn't push the series as much as they should have done. Korea is a very different market for extensive reading than it is Japan. Very different. That would be interesting to know. Um, well, in Korea, there's there's still very much the idea that the only valuable text is native text. So okay. um, in Korea, they spend a lot more time um, doing language study than they do in Japan. If you look at a typical Korean textbook, it's three times thicker than the same textbook in a, in a Japanese school, for example. So there's a lot more volume of text they've got. There's a lot more uh, expectation. You know, um, you've probably heard of, you know, Korean students uh, having to suffer so hard in their junior high and senior high years uh, to battle to get into these schools. It's the sort of situation that used to be in Japan some 20, 25 years ago. Um, but in Korea, many of the students are given native texts. Uh, young kids are given native materials um, that most of the series that are brought in there, L1 series is, you know, chapter books or maybe a reading series from Raz Kids or whatever. And even the publishers themselves bring in native texts and they sell them as as first language materials, the second language materials, but actually in, in, in effect they are um, first language materials. And so that means that if you couple the, the Korean very strong motivation to want to learn or need to learn a language, given their context, and the native level, the the average Korean student is is mentally primed to want to have to and to know to have to deal with difficult texts, um, so they can cope with it better than the average Japanese student who wants to be a little bit, a little bit more softer education, utility hensai education, which they had soft education back in the the two thousands and so on. So there's a different way of looking at things, and even today, you'll find that Korean publishers and uh, many of the Korean schools. Um, they do buy graded readers, but they're not seen as serious enough as the first language materials. So last weekend I was in Korea talking about this with some of the schools there and about their need to deal to 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 some of the time use the first language text, but also they need to make sure they're getting some comprehended material rather than constantly I plus one, I plus three, I plus four, 
which they get. Now, if you've got very high motivation, maybe you'll be okay, but there'll be a lot of damaged kids at the end of that. So, you know, um, but many, many kids in, in Korea are mentally prepared for that. They know it's going to be tough. When something comes along that's tough, well, guess what? Here's that tough stuff I expected. And so they battle through it. And very often, what you do see, if you go to walk around Korea, as I was last weekend, you just go into a store, your average Korean student who's 14, uh, 15, 16, 18, maybe working in a convenience store, most of them can speak a bit of English. It's pretty good. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. It's, uh, maybe you find that your own travels, particularly in Seoul. Um, yeah. There's still a lot, a lot of don't. But in Japan, I'm noticing also that their English is coming up a little bit. Kids are a little bit more willing now than they were. But I've often been stunned by going into a store in Korea and they've just come up like literally American English. They come with me like indistinguishable. Where did you learn your English? Oh, just here in Korea. It's like, wow. So, but you don't meet those kids so often here in Japan. Can I ask just one last question about the foundations reading library? Sure, go ahead, go uh, ahead. Given, the, uh, given how successful these books are, and I know that they are, uh, have you ever considered expanding the collection? I have been asked, and I'm not, not joking here, I've been asked 150 times by people to write some more. Mm -hmm. And um, I've passed this on to the publisher. Every time I'm asked by someone, I give them the publisher's name, give them the email, and tell them to do it. But the 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 publisher who now runs the series, which is National Geographic, um, they their primary market now, their brand is National Geo, Nat Geo, and so Foundations doesn't fit Nat Geo in terms of branding. Um, so their effort now is very much into the Nat Geo products um, and less into this sort of product. So. Um, they want to put their time and effort and resources into building their brand. Um, so I don't think Sengage themselves are in particularly interested in wanting to take the series on. Now, I've approached other publishers about that, uh, about doing something similar. Um, and I do have some interest. Uh, there are one or two companies I'm working with now to, um, to try to build a series. And one of the things you talked about before, though, you know, what, what new projects am I coming up with? I've got a, a long relationship, starting what looks like to be a long relationship with some publishers in China. And I have a feeling that they, they may be interested in something like this, probably at a, uh, an earlier cognitive level than the junior high series, which is foundation. The, the characters are at a, a lower level. I think China has a similar model to Korea in terms of what they think in language learning you know, more intensive, you've got to struggle, got to struggle, deal with the harder texts, you know, American or British Australian literature is the way to go and we'll fight through to get to our our, our, our level. So that's something I, I, I'm hopeful of in the near future. And uh, I was very happy to hear the other day that Nat Geo managed to sell quite a large number of my um, page turner books in China, which was great. So there's definitely a market there. And uh, there are people I know who've got Lots and lots of um, interest in wanting to build um, uh, more exposure to extensive reading in China. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. This, it's a very exciting area. So, um, you asked about writing a series. Um, a series is quite, is, is quite a challenge because you need to make sure that the, if, you, if you're work, working with headwords, which is what most series do, you've got, let's say, 200 headwords, 300, 400, 500, whatever. You've got to make sure all the books at that level 
have that same vocabulary. Now, in a perfect world, you would have every one of those 200 words at level one being repeated your 10 times, which would lead to your acquisition. They can then move to level two. Now, in principle, that doesn't work uh, because of Zip's law. Um, so if that was the case, students would probably have to read about 150 level one books before they move to level two, which is just not the way it works. So um, what you have to do is to try to make sure that all of the words are, are at least once or twice have been covered in that, that, that first set and then move on to the second one. And you need to make sure that many of the words which were introduced in the first books are being repeated. Now, there's three types of vocabulary you need, we need to consider. The first are the core words. These are the words which are said to be at level 200, 300, 400. The second words are the words which are in the glossary. So these are glossary items which are in addition to that. Um, so you may, for example, have 200 words uh, at level one, and you might have an extra seven or eight words for story A, which are relevant only to story A. But another book, story B at level 200, would have a different set of words because they need them for that particular story. So you've got um, the core words, the glossary items, and the third set of words are the what you might call the illegals, the words which are outside the level. And those are the ones which uh, may be from a higher frequency, but they have to be there for some particular reason. Let's say the word apple is a, is a higher level word and you need to use it. You have to word, use the word apple. You can't say a red and green fruit from a tree. You can't say that you need to use the word apple. So what you need to do then is to make sure it's illustrated or somehow the word has been um, um maybe, uh, what, I forgot what the word is now, expanded on um, is, is it, it's through, through re, uh, receptive generative use, the word comes again and again, it's illustrated, or in some way you've, um, you've contextualized the word um, so that you, that you get rid of those, uh, those illegals. And this is a bit of a problem when you find uh, some researchers come along and look at the vocabulary of the graded readers. Let's say they get the word lists and they look at the series, let's say they throw foundations into a, into a, 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 a corpus, and they look at all the words and they say, hey, you've published these words, you've got so many words out of level, because they're expecting all the words only to be in that 75 words, which they aren't. So if you've got six books at level 75, the first level 75 head words, you would have an extra 50 words at that level, which are individual words, which are uh, uh, glossary items. So when you do the analysis, it looks like, hey, they're not, they're not keeping to the, to the the core vocabulary, and that's a misunderstanding of how to analyze graded readers. So it's um, it's quite an issue, um, but it, it's it's um, you've got to be very careful when you're moving from one level to the other to make sure that the vocabulary is getting recycled as much as you can. And I have a, a spreadsheet somewhere that if, if anybody wants to have a look at it, um, that shows exactly which words are used in which story and what level, what the percentage coverage would be. And that took around a thousand hours of my life. <laughs> it's a big job. It's a big job, but thoroughly interesting. Really, I learned so much from doing foundations. I loved, I love writing at that level. So I'd love to write some great collection. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you say so. Many people have said the same thing. Um, I, I've heard that from many other people. And I hope that uh, if publishers are out there listening, uh, please contact. <laughs> I'm. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I've, I've seen it at work. I've seen junior high school students and they, 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 yeah. way they, they're uh, attracted to those books. And not only the ones that are below the 200. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. But there's the, uh, say, Foundations Level 4, 
uh, would be at mm -hmm. the same level as um, say uh, Oxford starters. That's right. And that's they right. would still be more attractive to students. And I think, I, I think so. There's a couple of things going on there. One of which is they've already got a context for them mm -hmm. um, because they've already read the other stories. And students like to read things in a series. Um, and one thing we're not doing in extensive reading, we publishers are not doing a series of books, you know, like uh, Sweet Valley High or Harry Potter, where you've got books that go all the way through, and uh, where you book through book one, book two. And I'd really love somebody to do something like that. But the other thing, too, that I tried to do so much with foundations was to, when you're writing something, there's two ways to write that we often hear about, one of which is um, show versus tell. Um, one of which is to show, so you would, instead of saying, you know, Mike is sad, you would show Mike is sad, you know, on Mike's face is, you know, you, you would write something that gives the impression that Mike was sad. Now, what I tried to do with foundations, because I realized that at that level of inference, you have to work out that the person is sad from the story itself, is a higher cognitive level. So what I tried to do is to do more tell, where you actually say what's happening and students can follow the story, make it actually readable. If we have higher level of um, expectation of their cognitive thinking skills, we have to remember that these students here are dealing with words. They're still dealing with words individually. They get to the end of the sentence, they might not remember the beginning of the sentence, but to also add into them an inference level and need to work out that Mike is sad is really hard for them. So I wanted to make sure that it was really explicit what was happening. That's why you find he said, she said, they said all the time. In many dialogues, sometimes you miss out who said and she said. But you, if you can mentally keep that train, it's fine. You can't do that at this level. You've got to keep it exactly where they are and therefore make it readable. So it's a kind of bridge between decodable texts and, um, and, and graded readers. I had to make it actually readable so they can actually say, I re read it. And um, I hope my a friend of mine who was writing some of these books with me, Page Turners, um, was uh, we had this big debate for a long, long time. You know, do we do show? Do we do tell? And I said, the really low levels, you've got to tell, you've got to tell, you've got to tell. Oh, no, 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 no. So he wrote his books very much on the show uh, side of things. Anyway, so, and I said, no, I think maybe you're not doing the right thing. there. Anyway, so eventually he became a high school teacher and he showed his books to the students. And they'll his low-level books, and they said, oh, "I understand all the words. I have no idea what the story means." <laughs> <laughs> he was very, he was very nice about it. He'd say, that "Actually, you know, maybe you're a little bit right at that level." I think that's one of the key things for foundations: is readable. Even though you'll find some purists, so particularly the literature, literary people, will look at the series and sort of say, "These books are not interesting. These books are a bit childish, and so on." But I'm not writing for you know, your David Hills of the world who do these things. I'm writing for the kids. Those are the ones who deal with it. You know, those are the ones I've got to actually be in their heads. So my, my daughter was very helpful here. I gave her lots of these scripts to work with. And uh, she came back and uh, it was very helpful for me. So, you got to know your audience. You got, that's right. And I think, you know, so many people have said it's there. Their kids love that series. Um, well, it's why it's been successful. I hope that we can expand that series into other markets in the future a bit more. So. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Let's put it this way. I'm working on it. It's one of the other things I'm working on right now. I didn't know these books were targeted at uh, junior high school students. Uh, I thought they were targeted as 
at high school students. But yeah. you were using them in junior high, right? Yeah, but the characters are the, the characters in the books are uh, high school students. Yeah. And in, in, in a fictional city in the United States. And uh, by their names you can and, and their physical appearance and everything you can get an idea of what the market was. They, 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 there's <laughs> many uh, second generation Japanese and uh, Korean and Chinese Americans. Um, Interesting. I was really fascinated just to hear with working within that that limitation of 75 words or so you're given I think he said like six verbs to work with mm-hmm. uh, really just low uh, really just a, a low amount of words that you have to fit your story into that's I think must be a challenge I read long before we had this interview I read an article by uh, by Rob Waring uh, where he outlined He's, well, he gave some advice on writing graded readers, and he said the most important thing is the story. Sure. Once you once you have the story, you you build upon it. And and again, write. that's when we had our interview with Antoinette Moses. I think that was something she stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who haven't heard, we can't <laughs> plug it enough. Go back in our in our back catalog. That's episodes eight and nine. It was a really fascinating conversation with her. So it's uh, a good a good connection, I think. So. Mm-hmm. And um, am I? Oh yeah, and I was very sorry to hear that it's not very unlikely that the collection will will expand the Foundation's Reading Library. Mm. Um, but uh, I hope Rob Waring continues uh, writing other graded readers, and yeah, I'm looking forward to those. And um, yeah, for next next for our next episode or two, maybe we'll have a uh, we had we already had the interview with. Uh, uh, actually, Rob Waring's partner in, in crime <laughs> in uh, building the ER Central website. Uh, that's Professor or Dr. Charles Brown. Um, yeah, and he told us about this website and actually a whole lot more. He was really good with um, just setting the vision of extensive reading and, and why he thinks it's important. And it sounds like he's had a really long history doing extensive reading here in Japan, too. So, yeah, um, he also deals with extensive reading and vocabulary. That's uh, to wrap this up, keep keep sending us comments, keep sending us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us through our email address at exrpodcast at gmail.com. And perhaps you've reached us through our webpage, that's erpodcast.wordpress.com. There's a section there to leave comments. and You're more than welcome to do so. And I think we're pretty good about responding to, to them. Unfortunately, that means... We don't have too many comments. Yeah. <laughs> we're eager. Yeah, we're eager to not be able to respond to your comments. No, we're <laughs> eager to hear from you. We're eager to hear from you. Uh, yeah, that'll do for today. That'll so. do for today. So, you, you say, happy reading. Happy reading.